entrepreneurship is difficult. It's a lonely path. Like you're going to be alone. You're not going to be lonely, but you're going to be alone. Like there's not a lot of people doing it. You're going to be by yourself. And I think when you're alone, we want companionship and we want someone to talk to. Now, just because you're alone and need someone to talk to and, and, and have someone like a shoulder to cry on because you might, that doesn't mean that you need to bring that person on as a co-founder. And just make sure that startups and business is all about value creation. And everyone, you need to provide value, your business needs to provide value, and your co-founders need to provide value. But you need to figure out, is that value bringing value to the marketplace or to me? The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. 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 Thank you for joining us for part four of our series titled From Zero to $100 Million. How to Scale Your Startup Like a Pro featuring Prady Tawari. During this episode, Prady explores the concept of adding on co-founders and business partners to your company and how this strategy can affect the value of your enterprise. Prady discusses the whys and hows of adding on partners, including the types of relationships that should and should not be inherent within those partnerships, taking on business partners and co-founders at the beginning of a business venture versus later after a company is already established, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare your brains for massive expansion. Brought to you by the enlightened millennial himself, Brady Tawari. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James and with me as always is my good friend Colt. Yes sir. And we are here once again with entrepreneurial powerhouse Prady Tawari. How you doing today Prady? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. The weather's nice uh, out here finally. I got a little uh, got a little cold because it was actually pretty cold the last few days. It was raining so and I was uh, hoping it would be nice weather today so that when we uh, do our Saturday recordings for CEP that uh you know, it's nice and, and shining outside. So that's always a good thing, man. So I'm, I'm ready to go, man. Ready to provide more value as always. Absolutely. I was I was awoken today by thunderstorms. And so oh. I was, it, it, this was like, I don't know, probably 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I was sitting there thinking in bed, you know, as I tossed and turned because the thunder woke me up. Man, I hope this doesn't continue because we got podcasting to do. And we're going to be on the line with Prady, and so we don't need a bunch of noise in the background <laughs> from Mother Nature trying to, once again, make things difficult for us. But everything's cool right and on. calm now, man. So it's good to see you again, Prady. Glad you had the time, made the time to jump on here with us and talk about entrepreneurship and, and what it takes to really start your own business and, and be successful, because that's the big thing, right? Yeah. Anybody mm-hmm. can anybody can try and start, I guess, but it takes a, a lot of time and effort and calculation to be able to pull this thing off. Yeah, I, I t- totally, man. And, and, you know, one of the things we're doing with the series is that we're building up from each one of them previously. So we started out with mindset. Uh, we talked about profits. Then we talked about systems and systemizing things and thinking about what kind of employees you want to bring in. And then I want to build up on that um, because I think those are we did that on purpose sequentially because that's this foundational stuff. And then you build on the foundation. And then one of the things, you know, we wanted to really talk about today was what I call the co-founder dilemma, which is, okay, so you have a product, you've thought about how to make profit, you've identified your kind of market segment. And then one or the other ways you're going to think about, hey, should I bring on a partner? Should I have a co-founder? Why is that important? Why can that help you? Is that a good thing or not? And I really wanted to get into that because that seems to be a big, big question for a lot of people. Um, because the statistics, statistics are out there that people who do things with co-founders, and there's two people at least on a team that are both founders, so have equity in a the company, they tend to be able to raise more money, but also they tend to be more successful in, as, in the startup scene. So we've seen the statistics actually come out. So I think a lot of people are saying, hey, man, I, I need a co-founder to, to do what I'm doing. 
So I want to demystify that, um, explain kind of my opinions on those things and make people think that's really the point of this series is not to tell you what's right or wrong, just making you think and critically assess what you can expect, what you should think about, and then apply that in your business how you see fit. Interesting. So you talk about the statistics pointing to the concept of having a co-founder equaling a greater uh, chance of success, right? Yes. Can you can you give us some foundational information about why this is, or, or at least the perception of? Yeah, I think um, the perception of it is, and uh, so th there's two things. So number one is with people willing to invest in you. So if you're trying to get a loan or you're trying to get venture capital, they're more likely to sometimes invest in companies that don't have a solo founder. And this is just the statistics. Mm. And I think, and when I've talked to investors and sometimes when I've talked to other people about it and they say, well, if you couldn't convince anyone else even to join your company, how can you, how can you convince the marketplace? That's a very uh, interesting way of, of thinking at it. But I, um, and that, that's an opinion for a lot, a lot of people share. But for the way that I have always seen it is that someone else that you're working with closely that is uh, on a founder level, which is different than an employee level, that's someone that's your partner in the business, whether it's even split of equity or owns ownership and shares of the company, they'll be able to help you make strategic decisions because that's their job. And sometimes, as we have talked about over the past few weeks, there's a lot of decisions you're going to make, man. Like, what's my market? What's my profit? And so having someone else that's with you in the trenches doing it helps not only offload some of the burden, but also helps you make better decisions. And I think that's, and make those decisions more efficiently. And that's what a good co-founder I think is supposed to do is able to offload some of your burden. So you're not doing everything, but also help you make critical decisions and basically point out when stuff isn't right or is bad. Or when you're spending excessively, or you're like, dude, what the hell is this? I don't agree with it. And make you think and debate because if you're the only one, and if you have all the ideas, man, like you don't have anyone to debate with, um, and I've always said, like, you know, if you want someone to teach you how to throw a football, I can go to my neighbor and like he'll be able to teach me basic stuff, how to throw football or do general stuff. But when it comes to starting a business, not, you can't no one really knows what it's like to go through it. So you're going through the trenches and you're alone and you can't most people can't talk to you about business stuff unless you have like a mentor or you're listening to podcasts or videos. But having someone on the ground with you, working on the business, making decisions with you, um, that can really help you grow quicker because you're not alone. Yeah. So if you decide to go with a co-founder, how early in the process should you be looking into doing that? Or does yeah. it depend? And what does it depend on if so? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question, man. So I've seen it both ways. So some companies, they have an idea. And then some of those guys are like, man, I need immediately a co-founder to start this with. And then let's go. Um, and then other companies have taken another route where they do it slowly and they build up some of the processes and then they bring someone on. I've seen it both ways and both ways have kind of succeeded in some way or the other, but I've always felt that it's actually much better to do the latter, trying to figure out things on yourself and setting some systems and automations and thinking about the critical questions we try to answer in the last few episodes about profit and who's my market before, and then bringing someone on sometimes can be better because then you know what you're looking for in that person. Um, I've talked to a lot of co-founders and they come together, two people come to pitch to me and ask them, how did you guys meet? And like, oh, we met in college. It's like, so why did you guys start? It's like, well, we just, we just were in college together. And that's not a good question, a good answer. The answer should be, I had a business and these were the needs of the business. And this other person was able to fill those needs in a business that I could not do as a founder. And they were able to bring that skill set. And that allowed us to scale 
you know, massively. And you can take it from a, this is not only for entrepreneurship, this can be for a podcast or a project, right? So if I have a podcast and I'm really good at podcasting, like right now I like podcasting, I like coming on the mic, but then I don't know the technical things like really well. So Leo, who I do a podcast with, he's really good with the technical stuff. Like he'll figure out all the sound and he knows it makes me know a lot about tech. And so me and him joining together, we're able to produce more content because I'm really good at the speaking. He's picking that up too, but he's also good with the technical stuff. And now we can grow quicker than me doing it by myself. Mm -hmm. So that's a better answer than me saying, Hey, I just started a podcast because he's my, you know, we're just kind of buddies, but is he good on the mic? Like, is he able to add value to the podcast? So these are the questions that you should be asking. And I think that's why the second thing is second option is a better one. Interesting. It's kind of important, right? Because you, you think about, you don't want two people who are to attack the same things in a company when you can have, when you can be splitting off and knowing what you guys are good at individually and then attacking those things to build it faster. Yeah, you should like, like I kind of mentioned last time, you should always hire for your weaknesses, like what you can do. And we talked about last time, man, don't be doing tasks as a CEO. Like you should outsource them and automate them and grow with that. And that also means it's figuring out like what are your weaknesses and your co-founder should help you with your weaknesses. Now there's two types of weaknesses. There's task-based weaknesses, which you're like, dude, I'm just bad at shipping labels. I don't have to, I'm not organized versus their strategy-based weaknesses. And that is when you should bring on a co-founder. So, and I've, and I'm going to, uh, Say this, I've seen many times where people give out equity and like one of the co-founders is just doing tasks and the other co-founder is doing strategic things, which is fine. But the question that I had for them is like, dude, why didn't you just hire someone? Like, why didn't you just hire? Why did you have to give someone equity for doing tasks? Like you could have just given like, them like an, uh, given them some you know, a salary and done that. And so the, you should bring on someone for your weaknesses, but strategy-based weaknesses. And what, what are those? Let's, let's try to think about what that could be. So that could be something like, hey, man, I'm not really good at um, like my ability to hire people. Like I'm not really good at that. Like I don't know how to hire. I don't have a gut instinct about what makes a good employees. I've never hired people and I've never scaled a company. I think you're really good at that. So that's coming. That's a strategy weakness that I have. Or I'm not good at raising capital. I don't know how to pitch to investors. I don't have deep relationships in this industry, but you have those deep relationships, let's work together. You might have a supplement company and someone else might have deep relationships with vendors and retailers or with GNC and vitamin shop, and you might not have it, then bringing them on as a partner, you can leverage their, their skills, their soft skills, which I call them, because soft skills are not outsourceable. I can't teach someone to have relationships with all the biggest vendors in the country that someone has that or they don't. And so those are the things that you should look at when you're bringing on a co-founder, it's bringing on someone to help you with your strategic weaknesses, not your task-based weaknesses. And man, I've seen, I mean, bigger companies have made this mistake. Um, there's a guy um, who went, Facebook got an office after they went out of their dorm and they needed someone to spray their office building like with graffiti and just color it, like paint it. And Mark and the team, they didn't have any money to pay him. So they gave him equity in Facebook. And that guy is a multi, multi-millionaire. All he did was paint the walls. <laughs> it's true. Like you look it up. And, uh, and I see companies do this all the time because like, man, I don't have capital. So we can talk about that too. So what I'll do is I'll give someone equity and that way they're not going to ask me for money, like no salary, because you're going to get equity instead. And that way I can just not worry about it. And people, I've seen people do it too. They give equity to their lawyers. I've seen people give equity to their accountants, like task-based things. And that is always going to help, you know, bite you in the ass because if you give someone ownership in your company, they will have a say, a legal say in the direction of your company forever. Right. 
And when you do scale and do sell it, they're going to make massive amounts of, of profit, which it might be okay, but it's more the decision-making that they're going to be now with. And I've always said this, though, there's only two times in life you ever make a contract with another person what, like that is legally binding in such a way where decision-making, one is marriage and the other is a co-founder. There's no other types of contracts where you're tying your fate to that person. So you have to be very careful with that. Um, and because if you tie your fate with a, co with a co-founder and you're both on the LLC docs and you're both co-founders, whatever he or she does now, it's going to affect you. If they get married, it affects you. If they leave, it's going to affect you. If they move out of state, it's going to affect you. If they if they party every night, it affects you. If they get drunk and they don't, if they if they don't show up to work, it's gonna, like everything. Your future is not tied to this person in such a way. Honestly, you can even make case it's even more than a marriage. Like your entire financial future is tied to that person in a binding contract. So you have to be very careful who you bring on. Um, and I don't think a lot of people take it seriously because when they start off, they're just small. They're a small company out of their basement. You're like, man, what does it matter? Just this guy just gives me equity. That way, I don't have to pay him. And then it will bite you in the ass because everyone listening to this, my goal is that they do have a bigger business and then it is going to affect you when they're going to make, you don't want your, your buddy, your accountant to be making strategic decisions for you, you know? Hmm. Very interesting. So let's unpack this a little bit. Yeah. First sure. of all, we want to make sure that we have, we get a co-founder, a partner, if you will, who's going to instill confidence within us, right? Someone who's going to, it's going to help us uh, to to feel more confident about this endeavor that we're about to take on. But also, yes. we want to make sure that our investors, any any other stakeholders who are going to be important in this thing taking off, to also be confident. And so that other person is going to help perpetuate us into this new level of, of people saying, okay, this is, this is good. We're going to invest in this. We're going to get behind this and back this because it's not just one person. It's also this other partner he's got or that she's got that's going to really make this thing, going to make it happen. Um, but also, you're, you know, we want a partner who is a co-founder who is really coming in and taking uh, the work that we may be weaker in or the stuff that we may not just be as strong as that person is in. And that's going to help us to also uh, use our time to benefit the company the most. Right. And so then also. Once again, you have to make sure that you are cohesive with this person. And so I was likening this to the, the podcast that Colt and I have, the CEP, of course, and uh, how we kind of we work together. We kind of mesh in different tasks that we do. And you mentioned you and Leo as well and how that works. How important is it, I guess, that we have passion as well. If you get someone who's not quite as passionate, you mentioned someone who drinks too much, parties too much the night before, uh, maybe they're going through a divorce, something like that. They may put this company now on the back shelf that you worked so hard on and you've taken them on as a co-founder. How hard is it and how important is it that they have the same amount of passion, if not more than you do in this company? Everything. Because the fact is, if they slack, you can't fire them. Like, what are you going to do? Right. So right now, if I have an employee and they're not really performing or I have a contractor who's doing my design work or my artwork or shipping out stuff and they're not performing or they're not doing well, they're going through a tough time. I can tell them, Hey man, take some time off and let's regroup a little bit later. Mm. I can't say that to my founders. So right. just remember when you give equity away, you're, it's gone. And so you cannot do that. So this is why it's, I mean, we, we do this all the time. We don't marry the first girl we go out on the first date with. We don't just marry the girl that we've been friends with forever. Like you have to think about, is this person suitable for marriage? Because they're going to raise my kids and they're, or, you know, if you're going to have kids or, and if, you know, if you can't just divorce them, like it's a very messy process that involves a lot of shit. And with the business, it's, it's massive amounts of money and your entire financial future. I mean, this is your income we're mm. talking about. So 
Um, the answer is 100% motivation levels. I mean, that's a prerequisite. They need to be mat like at the highest peak level for that person. And uh, like I said, you can't get rid of them. And, and I um, now, can you? Yes. Um, but there's a whole legal process about how to do that. It's not something like you can't just walk out of your spouse and be like, hey, it's not working out. I, it wasn't as good as I actually thought it was. So let's talk to you later. <laughs> mm. You can't do that. You can do that to a girlfriend, maybe, or someone that you just met. But you can't do that to your wife. Like, you can't just walk out. Like, there's legal ramifications for that. Right. So same thing with, with, the, with the startup you, uh, or with a business. You cannot. So, dude, 100%. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I – for me, it was like, that's a prerequisite. Um, and that's why also, like, I kind of mentioned, dude, it's better sometimes um, what I've been doing lately. I do most of my businesses totally by myself. I start it. I think about it. I, I put up all the systems. And then I'm like, okay, man, like, where is stuff going wrong? And I, I talked about this last week. Like, I have systems in place, but maybe I'm not good at a certain thing. Like, some strategy decisions I don't, I'm not good at. Or usually it's not even strategic decision for me. It's more like a network. Like, they have access to a network that would help me grow quicker. So that would be good. But I never bring them on as a co-founder right away. What I do is, hey, man, why don't you want to, you want to be a contractor or you want to be an employee? And then what I do is I have them work for a whole year and I pay them. And then once I actually think that they're doing a good job and I've seen it, proof of it, then I might say, hey, man, take some equity um, and then we can renegotiate your salary or something. And that's what I do actually to incentivize them more. Nice. So equity is a, is additional incentivization. It's not the only because if you're just saying, hey, man, um, join my company, here's equity, but you're not going to make any money. That's not additional incentive. That's the only incentive. Now, if they're not performing, then you're kind of screwed. But another thing, too, that you have to remember, if it's your idea and you're asking your buddy or something to work for free and just give them equity, none of you guys in the beginning is going to make shit. Right. And that's what I go at the second part of this. So sometimes it's hard. Like I had this uh, one of my first few businesses, like second or third, I, I did that. And I felt awkward asking him or her to do work because I'm like, they're not getting paid. Like, and so I'm, like, I felt although they had equity in the business, it's always weird. Whereas I have employees and I'm paying them a good amount or I have a contract that I'm paying every week on a retainer, like I feel more comfortable asking them to get shit done sometimes than I have with someone who's just like, this is their side thing and they're not getting paid. And I'm passionate about that. They're kind of passionate about, I'm trying to convince them, giving them equity. But since they're not seeing any return, they're not as passionate about it. And then I can't tell them anything. <laughs> and then plus I'm screwed now because yeah. now I already gave the equity away. So honestly, my, my advice, hopefully people listening is like, dude, take your time with it. Like you just wouldn't rush into a marriage with someone. So don't don't rush it. I think it's that's that, that's amazing advice, Brady, because you're you're not just taking your time to kind of test them in a way, right? To make sure that they are investing their not just their time, but their their energy and, and their blood, sweat, and tears, if you will. But you're also kind of grafting them into your idea, right? Into the culture that you have formulated for this business that you're that you're developing. You're grafting them in slowly and not just giving equity out all at once because you can't then take that equity back at least very easily. You have to actually go through legal ramifications, and so that's. That's that's an amazing process, an amazing um, uh, approach to uh, having a co-founder come in and, and take over some of that that piece of this thing that's so important to you. It's basically like a paid internship, right? Kind of, yes, right. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I think you're bringing someone in a culture that you want them to understand it. And, you know, you see a lot of times, if, and I'm sure we're going to get comments on this and like ask, hey, man, what's your biggest issue with your co-founder? Most people say they're not carrying their weight. Mm-hmm. Like I brought them on, but they're just not carrying their weight, man. It kind of sucks. And we've all had this. I mean, we've worked on projects at work or at school or something. And like someone's just not carrying their weight and it sucks. And th there's two reasons why someone is not carrying their weight. Number one is they're just not motivated and they're playing lazy. The second thing is that you're not giving them, you're not putting them in a position where they can thrive. 
And I'm a big, I actually usually believe that's the case. So everyone has certain talents and things that they're good at, but those talents and things that they're good at are not going to come out unless you put them in a position where they can show those talents. So I'll give people an example. I, I worked in a law firm and like in the beginning, they would make me do a lot of busy work and like paper stuff. And I just wasn't thriving because that's just not my skill set. My skill set is being able to talk, negotiate. And so I was not a superstar at that office. And like the partner was like, dude, what do you, your performance sucks. Now, my performance doesn't suck. It sucks because I'm not doing the things I should be doing. Like, that's not my role. Like, if you put a, an athlete at a position that they're not supposed to, like, they can't play, they're not going to be the best. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. So this also deals with your co-founder a lot of times where you both are starting a business and you don't know what the business really needs. And you might be doing a certain job. And, and because you hired, you brought them on because you guys are alike, you both are going to do the same thing. And then the big... I, Issues with the business are not getting solved because you're both focused on the same thing. I just said that too, uh, which happens a lot of times. And so when you're waiting and you have a year under your belt of doing the business, you understand really what the business needs. Plus, you get to see if you have brought someone on as a contractor or an intern or something, what they're really good at. And then you see if those things match and then you put them in there and then, dude, it's going to be massive catalyst for growth. Like I always say, because you're putting some someone in a position where they're going to succeed Plus, the things that they're going to succeed at are things your company also needs on a strategy-based level. And then, you know, the, the sky is really the limit because you're doing your thing, blazing along, and that, that person's doing their thing, blazing along, and the company is just moving forward. But this needs to be strategically well thought out. Thought out. It needs to be a vetting process. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't do the vetting process. They're super excited. They wake up or they watch a movie. Dude, I want to start a business. I got this great idea for it. Let's talk about it. I mean, I was in college all the time. Every day, someone would talk about ideas. And then you're like, dude, do you like it? You're like, dude, I fucking think it's great. Let's start it. And then they put paperwork together and start the business. And then there's no thought about, hey, what, what are we even doing? And then you have a legal paperwork that's binding you to another human and your future. Um, and you haven't thought about it. Like, this is not like uh, getting married in Las Vegas. You know, where you kind of know it. But you got you to gotta, you gotta think about think that process through. Likening it to a marriage, though, I think is important because unfortunately, that's a lot of people that uh, a lot of people. That's a thing that a lot of people can't relate to is divorce, marriage and divorce. Marriage, yeah. is, it's a huge decision, right? Now I'm living yeah. with this other human being legally binding in a contract and I can't just turn around and walk away when she doesn't do A, B and C that I expected her or him to do. Right. right. So that's that's very important. You're, you're actually you're essentially marrying this person. Uh, in business, right, and, and so that's that's a very very important and it's a, it's a critical thing that you're doing in life. It's like you said, legally binding, that and that gives you the, the an idea about the gravity of the situation. This isn't something that you should take lightly. And I also wonder, Prady, and I, I kind of I think about this when when you're talking. Oftentimes, when it involves anybody else, how difficult is it that this baby that you've created, this infant that you were so careful with at the beginning, like we talked about in previous episodes, um, you've nurtured this baby and you've got it to, let's, let's say, the, the stage of adolescence, and you take on this other person, this co-founder, how difficult is it for people to then back away a, a bit so that that person can thrive, so that you can turn over these duties to that person with equity, knowing that they're not just a salaried employee, but they are someone who's going to have this massive stake in the company. Um, it seems to me like that might, at least for some people, be difficult for me as the owner to step back just a bit and have them to take control of that, you know, of the portion that they're going to now have equity in. Yeah. And two things to that. I mean, going to your first point, I'm a big believer that you can't, you can work on relationships, but you can't 
build them from scratch. Like you need, you, you get in one and that person is already like that. They already have those skill sets. Like I'm not, if I find someone that is just like not a good person, like, isn't, I don't know, I don't li really like them. And then I'll be like, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? I invest a bunch of time in them and build them. So they become the ideal partner for me, whether it's relationship. Like, I think that's like, I mean, I see people doing it all the time, try to fix people and like, dude, you maybe do that in your relationships, but when it comes to business, you don't have time in a startup to try to bring on someone who doesn't have any skill sets and I'm going to fix you and build you. Like mm. you, quote unquote, this is not the right word, but you, the best relationships, you buy them and you bring them in. And when I say you buy them, as in they already like that and you bring them in and you don't, you don't have as a, as a, one of the worst things you can do is like you're building your business. You have all these 50 million decisions you got to take. And now you have a co-founder who's like, dude, I need help. I need this. I can't do this. I can do that. Or I'm, I'm unmotivated. Help me. Like, I don't have time for that. Like, I, I, I don't have time to fix you right now, you know? So you should already be that person that I'm looking for and you should compliment my life. And I, I say this to guys all the time, even for a relationship, you're not, you can't, you can't like find someone that you don't, don't, don't even like, that has no, nothing that you adds any value to your life. And you're going to spend all your time draining and fixing them. And then you don't even know if that's going to work out. So right. better you find someone who's already like that, bring them into your life and see you have the same values and then you're good to go. Cause then you're not fixing them all the time. And when you're a startup, you have literally, you have People don't realize that you have literally no time for that. So that's a, a key thing. And that brings to the second question, how do you let go? Um, you have to have confidence as the founder that bringing this person in will make your baby a superstar. So you're like, man, my, my child, I brought him into an adolescent, uh, but I want to turn this person into an NBA player. And I want him to you know, go through the draft and you know, play in the big leagues. And this person is going to help me do that. And that person needs to give you that confidence that they're going to do that. And that comes from... I think giving that person, letting let let them show you. Um, I always I've always said that words are really cheap. I, everyone can say, "Man, I care about this. I'm motivated. I love you." Or this or that. But like, show me. And so they need to show that to you. There needs to be proof of stuff that they have done um, that actually shows whether their own track record. Now, this is scary. Sometimes I've seen people say, "Well, I had experience at other companies doing X, so I can do it in your company." It doesn't always translate for some or the other reason. It just doesn't translate. So it's better if they've done it in your company and then you brought them on to do more as opposed to them having done it in another company because you don't know if that's going to translate necessarily, right? So if you say, hey, man, like, Preddy has, like, this supplement company. Let me let me start a podcasting network and bring Preddy on. But you don't know if those skills are going to translate necessarily. So it's better if you say, hey, Preddy, why don't you come on a couple of shows, see how it goes, see if this is a good podcast. And bring some value, we'll bring you on as an intern or whatever, and then see if I can actually perform and then bring me on as that level, as opposed to, oh yeah, dude, I saw your resume on LinkedIn, you did that for this big company, come in, because that is scary too. Just because someone was good at raising one child doesn't mean they'll be good at a good parent for the other child. And you know, we see that a lot. So I, I think it comes from trust and, and you'll be okay with it if you know that that person's gonna bring your business into the next level. Um, but all these things, I think critical thinking and, this is all, you know, when we're going through these episodes, I want people to recognize like business is all people skills and soft skills and logic. You know, when you go to business school, you might learn a lot of math and stuff, but we have not talked much about math here. And I don't really deal much with math because I use a calculator and that's it. Like basic arithmetic. I don't need to know like equations. It's all soft skills. And like I just talked about, like, how do you make relationships with people in your real life? And, and you kind of like figure out what you did in your real life. So people who have good soft skills and have succeeded in their social life, they're usually very good too in making relationships and building a good business. And 
there's many reasons for this, but one of the things I've always noticed is in America, a lot of the business leaders, the end of people who were in fraternities and in a lot of those social interactions. And there's many reasons for this. One of them is connections, of course, and networking. But the other part is you learn a lot of soft skills when you're doing that. And those soft skills then translate into when you're in a business because all it's just people managing, man. That's all it is. Hmm. So, uh, go ahead. Go. So I just think to encapsulate a lot of it, I think it's mainly you. It can be paid, but I think your your main goal is to make somebody prove themselves before you yes. put them in a position to where they can, in a, with no better term, screw you over in the long run if they if that's their choice or if you know if they don't succeed in that company, right? So just make somebody prove that they can do what you need them to do before you actually give them any kind of incentive. Really, kind of like I mean? kind of like dating, right? So yeah. we keep using the relationship models. So right. you have to you have to court this person before you end up marrying this person in an LLC or whatever the case may be. Hundred percent. I, I actually like that we're using this analogy because it might resonate with more people. But you never want to be dating someone when you're needy, like when you really want a relationship, or like, or you you're like coming out of one and you're just like, shit, I want to date someone else, like. Mm-hmm your ability to vet that person is going to be shit because you're just like, you're so desperate. There's <laughs> so many guys who are desperate. They just want to get laid all the time. And like, they, have, they don't they have, don't vet any, just whatever moves, they'll go for it. And they have no understanding. And that is the worst in life when you're needy. It's the worst situation to be in because you, your brain does not work. And so that's why I've always said, if you're starting a startup, build a startup or a company that you can do on your own, everything. And you can outsource and hire, like have all the resources mentally, um, emotionally to be able and and, and, you know, from a thought process standpoint that you can do by yourself. And if you end up meeting someone that can add more value, vet them. And But you don't need them. You want them. But like, whether it's romantic or something, like, I don't need them. I want them to be part of my life, but I don't need them. Because if I need them, then I'm desperate and then I make bad decisions. So I also think a lot of people think, oh, I have a startup. I must have a co-founder. I need one. And the answer is no, you don't need one. If you need one, maybe your idea is not that great. You should be able to build it by yourself. And if someone comes along that can add value, you'd be like, hey, man, yeah, let's let's try it out. Um, and you'll give them a time, you bet them out. And then if they meet those things, then bring them on. But this is 100 um, percent. Yeah, I think a lot of relationships and stuff, and especially young people are bad with it because they're just desperate <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they make bad decisions. And that, that's why, because you don't use your betting process. Wow. Have, Brady, have you seen anything fail because people have put the same tactics to a co-founder as they do to a regular employee as far as like how they treat them and what like you said before, like you can't expect a normal employee to have as much motivation as you do or to be, you know, wanting this thing to succeed as bad as you do. If they do, that's great, but you can't actually expect that. But you do need that from a co-founder. Have you seen anything fail because they treat a co-founder and an employee the same way? Yeah, a lot of times I've actually seen it where a lot of startup founders, they're not like, you know, James, you asked the question, are you you're not ready to let go? And a lot of co-founders, they f- always feel it's theirs, but you've given away 50% of your company, but they feel like it's still theirs. And what happens is they start treating the other person as an employee and they start like bossing them around and like kind of just telling them what to do. And the other person like, dude, this is my company too. So even though you've spent five years building it and I wasn't there in the beginning, but I have 50% of your company right now. So right. this is not. So I've seen that go wrong many times. I, I, I think there was a checklist. I think um, there was like TechCrunch came out with the whole study of like the biggest reasons for startup failures and co-founder issues were, I think, number two. And the first one was like lack of capital. And the first, second one was co-founder issues. And I think this plays a big role in it because, number one, we bring on a co-founder and you start fighting. Why do we fight? Let, let's, let's summarize this. You start fighting because 
you brought someone on and you, you didn't vet them properly because if you ask them, why did you fight? Oh, that person, you know, I did, they weren't so motivated or you know what? They, they were like shooting the shit all the time or they weren't doing, I was like, we well, could have known that earlier. How is that possible? You know what I'm saying? Like if you're married with someone and you're like, why didn't you like her? Oh, she was a slob. Like, couldn't you have found that earlier? Like, couldn't you have found that out? Like that's something easy that you could have figured out earlier. And most of the issues that people mentioned that they didn't like with their co-founder are all stuff, all things that anyone from knowing, like meeting with them like five or six times, like a dude, I could have told you that. I don't even know this person. Like it's so obvious. So vetting, biggest issue. Number two is that they, they don't, are, are not willing to let go. So if you bring someone on as a percentage and equity, you need to be able to let go and give them responsibility and understand that now they're going to make strategic decisions with you. And if you're not ready for that, then don't give them that type of responsibility because you literally have. And you know, I'll, I'll talk um, a few minutes later about what it means, like how you actually get rid of a co-founder and what the legal ramifications are. But I definitely want to make sure we, we touch on these soft, uh, soft things. But yeah, call to answer your question. It's the number two reason most startups fail. And I, and I just don't think they vet properly and they're desperate in the beginning and they make rash decisions that end up biting them in the ass, man. Hmm. Right. So, you know, it's interesting to me and it occurs to me as we're speaking that we could change the wording of this podcast today and it could be a full out relationship podcast, <laughs> you know, yeah. absolutely. So in other words, a business that you have, the business itself is a relationship that you're engaging in as a person with this business. And then you, <clears throat> you can also marry a co-founder into this business as well. So maybe a little bit of polyg polygamy involved or, or something like essentially that. Essentially, Prady is a therapist, right? Essentially, he is. <laughs> essentially, essentially is. And yeah, it, this is all metaphorical to the relationship, but it, it's very interesting. Another thing that, that comes to my mind as we're talking about, as you mentioned, vetting, Prady, is that you know why didn't why didn't you notice that your your spouse now uh, you know she's a slob or he's a slob now why didn't you notice that before and there's a period of time in relationships that we always try to warn against and that's called the honeymoon phase right yes. so so is don't we have to be careful of the honeymoon phase when it comes to uh, taking on a co-founder as well and make sure we don't move too quickly because we might think man this person is picking up the slack that I had, the, some of my weaknesses that I, I had in, in the business, and they're picking this up, and they're they're kicking butt, they're doing great, um, but still yet you move too quickly, and you might find out later that they're a raging alcoholic, and you just didn't spot it because you were so happy that they were picking up those things that that you were uh, that you were needing help with before. Yeah, dude, I, I love this. Yeah, thanks for asking this question. So, so the reason why you didn't notice it is because you didn't want to notice it not because they didn't show it to you. So there's two things. One, they're not going to show you, but also you, when you're in the honeymoon phase and when you really start liking someone, actually your brain flushes itself with dopamine. So they actually notice that it's the same effect as being on cocaine versus being on love is actually the same. So you get like highs. And so when that person leaves, you feel like shit and you think about them all day and it's not, you know, we can talk about the soulmate stuff, but for me, it's, it's science. Like if they actually looked at a person's brain who's on cocaine and withdrawal and actually person who's quote unquote in love. And it's, it's, it's the same imaging. It's really scary. I'll, I just send you a link. It's really cool. But the reason why is because you didn't want to see it. And so one of the things that I've always had is I always believe in crisis, crisis management and seeing, and everyone has their worst side. And mm -hmm. I've always said, unless I've seen your worst side, I don't know how you really are. And so one of the things I've done, and this can be a, maybe a trick that maybe people want to use, but I uh, bring on chaos on purpose and I try to see how they react. And one of my things in life has always been, if you're gonna fail, fail as fast as possible. So when I'm starting a business and when I'm working with like even a vendor or something, so I'll give you an example. So a lot of times in a supplement company, you start a company and you have a vendor and the vendor can only make a thousand units. They can't handle a hundred thousand units. But what happens, 
you are doing a small business. All of a sudden, Walmart makes an order and says, hey, Preddy, I want 100,000 units. And I go to my manufacturer, like, can you make 100,000? He's like, no, we don't do that. And now I go back to Walmart saying, hey, sorry, we can't. Can you give me like two, uh, like six months to find another manufacturer? I'm like, fuck no, you're out. So now you lose business because the manufacturer couldn't produce that amount of volume. Most companies didn't care. They just looked the other way, like, we'll figure it out later. This happens to businesses all the time. You go on Kickstarter, there's all these businesses that raise like million, 100,000, 200,000, and then they're gone. Why? The number one reason is that they cannot supply, uh, supply all the demand because their manufacturer sucks. So what do I do? The first day I work with the manufacturer, I make a blanket order. I say, um, I want 150,000 units. And they're like, what? I say, I want 150,000 units in six weeks. Like, can you deliver it? And most of them say, no, sorry, we can't do that. Hmm. Did I really want to order 150,000 units? Hell no. <laughs> I wanted like 500 units. <laughs> Why did I do that? I introduced chaos. And that, then I figured out early on what can go wrong. Now, how to use that example in relationships? I use it all the time. If I'm interested in a person, even romantically, I'll bring up, I'll try to force a situation and try to see how they react so that I know when that situation actually happens after the honeymoon phase, what it's actually going to be like. And you can use your imagination uh, what that could be. <laughs> uh, I won't go into that detail. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I talk about it in business with co-founders. Um, one of the things that's good about having someone work for you for a year, that there's a lot of crisis going to happen at your business, especially in the beginning. You're going to have a lot of problems. And seeing how they handle themselves in those situations, you, that's part of the vetting process. And so a year or two years later, you're like, man, shit hit the fan. How are they reacting? All this bad stuff already happened. So I already know that they're a slob. I already know all that stuff. And, and I think that's important. But you got to know what's important to you, right? So if I have a value in my life that I don't like to date slobs, then and if the girl's not showing that me in the beginning, I'll try to go and look at her place un unannounced. I'll knock on her door like, hey, I'm just here. Can I come in your house? And I'll see if she's a slob, right? That's how I test it. I don't wait until the honeymoon's phase is over and just hope, wishful thinking. So I've put up a lot here, but hopefully uh, people can put two and two together. But it's all the same thing, man. No, that's huge for for both relationships and for the business too. Fail quickly. Right. That that resonates with yes. me greatly, right? Because if it's going to fail, I need to know it's going to fail just as soon as possible so that I can move on into into my next failure. Hopefully, at some point in time, it's going to cascade into success, right? Because you've got to test the waters before you really truly know. Oh, 100%. I did this even with, with our podcast. The first day, I wasn't sure like how Lee and I were going to do it. I didn't know we, if we had enough time. So the first week I said, he was like, oh, let's record like once every like month or every two weeks. I was like, no, let's record 20 this week. And that's what we did. Like the hell, like now we have recording 20 podcasts and like, and now we record like less frequently. We, we, we like publish once like every two weeks or a month. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, we were publishing a lot of shit. And we did that on purpose because we already know that we can handle a lot of podcasts and a lot of snips and all this chaos. And I didn't have to wait for like a year later when the podcast grew. Oh, shit, we can't do it anymore. I think that's I, we're working reverse. So I do a lot of shit in the beginning, throw everything at the person and at myself, see if I can handle it. And if we can handle it, then we can go in the normal process. So this is really key, man. And not only Love. could you handle it, but you were it made you a lot better in the beginning, too. Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I quickly want to focus on some of the legal stuff. I know we have to get something like a little practical, but I want to talk about a concept that you can put in. So you're going to have a, a contract with your uh, with your co-founder. One of the things, I'm also an attorney, so hopefully I can provide some. I'm actually a corporate attorney, so I went to law school just, um, obviously I took all my legal courses, passed the bar, but my specialty in law school was um, business law specifically focused on startups, merged and acquisitions, and startup law, and that that was my thing. Um, so one of the things you definitely want to do when you start off, make sure you write down your roles or responsibilities and you divide and you think about equity up, up front. 
Um, this happens a lot of times. We're like, dude, yeah, we're in business together. And then we don't have anything really in writing who does what and also how the equity split. And what starts happening, all of a sudden you raise some capital or your business grows and then you start making profit. And now you're going to split your profit maybe in a way that is equal to your percentage, but you never talked about it. And in the beginning, you don't want to talk about it because the like, guy ah, will deal with it later. So make sure you spend time and it's going to be an uncomfortable situation. But I always say, said it's better to be uncomfortable in the beginning than it is to be uncomfortable in, at the end or in the middle when you're dealing with more shit. So think about that carefully, what that number is going to be. I'm not a huge proponent of 50-50 in businesses because then no one can make any decisions and you have stillmate. Mm -hmm. So I think someone should always have majority and you need to be honest with who that's going to be. And if you're on the opposite side, you need to think about that. But just make sure you write everything down and you think about that beforehand. <clears throat> yeah. So, Prady, you kind of alluded to earlier the notion of divorce. All right. So let's move into the hard part. When it comes time and you've got to make a split with your partner, uh, how do you do that? What's what's maybe some of the first warning signs or maybe just some of the first processes that you have to start in order to to have this hard conversation and make the make the split? Yeah, you need to figure out like what the warning signs are for you. But for me, it's always like a lack of motivation mm. uh, because if there's no motivation, you can't cure that person. Like you can't you can't help it. Like it's even in a relationship, like if someone's like slacking off and like, but if that person has no interest in continuing, like you can't you can't buy her enough flowers or is not nothing's going to happen. Like it's over. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I've always like whenever there's like a breakup, there's always a time when you've decided that you're going to break up and when you actually break up, like you already know, like it's, 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 it's a, it's a loss. So with most times with startups, I've noticed like warning signs when they're not as responsive and there's like work that's getting missed consistently, like once or twice, I have a three strike rule. If I see it three times, like they're just not as responsive anymore. Motivation levels are low and they're not producing their like daily tasks that even that they have to do it starts waning. And I, it starts to trigger in my head. I'm like, okay, this person is probably not going to stay or they have lost motivation. I then have to start planning about, well, what is my life going to look like? And I don't say my business. I say my life because the fact is that my life is dependent on this and my family's income and everything else that I've saved is dependent on that person's decision. So I need to be very strategic with it. Um, those are the warning signs. Now, when you start, when you make that contract in the beginning, you have something called a vesting period. So some people have probably heard of it, but basically what that is, is you can say, I want to have, one year of vesting and, or four, usually it's four years of vesting and you get, you do at a 25% basis. So basically what that means is if, if, if I say Cole or James, you guys are going to get 50%, I'll have the other 50. You don't get the 50 right away. There's like a period between how long you have to stay before it starts vesting a certain amount. Mm -hmm. So you can have a period in the beginning where no one gets anything for like one year. You can do that. And then after that, every quarter you get 25%. And that also means is that if you give me 50% right away without any vesting schedule or period, what could happen is you can give me 50%. I can take that certificate, go to Hawaii and never talk to you again. And I have 50% of your company now. And if I don't want to sell the shares, you can't buy it from me. Like you're done. Your company's forever gone. Right. So you have to be very careful. I'm a big proponent of doing all the vetting in the world before, and then also putting a vesting schedule so that it's vested slowly. So if they end up leaving, if they end up leaving after eight months, they don't take any equity with them because it was a one year in between that they had to wait before it starts vesting. And if, and even then it's only 25% at a time from the total process. So um, that's going to be a big part of it. Now, if it's after two years or after the whole vesting schedule is ended, the conversation you want to have with the the, 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 the the founder is that you need to be able to buy them out. And then you need to figure out what that price is going to be. That's a price that you set in the beginning when you started talking with them. When you're in a little college dorm, 18 years old, the first conversations you had with them, that's the price. So 
you're going to set and work with your lawyer. You're going to say every share is valued at X amount or X, per, X cents. And this is going to be the buyout clause. You put that in there. If the co-founder leaves, this is what I can get the shares for at X amount price. Or, and then that's set then. Um, and if you don't have anything in your contract, well, good luck. Um, you're going to be, they're going to be like, yeah, it's a million bucks. <laughs> right. So you're in a very bad spot at that point. Right. Wow. So once again, having these things set up before you get too far into it is going to be super important. Uh, you, yeah, you don't work get... with a lawyer if you can. Like if you're bringing a co-founder in, it's not, I know it's expensive, but it's not really that expensive. I know a lot of good websites. I don't use like Rocket Lawyer or any of those things. Like use the real lawyer, please, because it's too important. Like mm. there's a website called UP Council. It's like the Uber for lawyers. And you'd be like, hey, I want to create a co-founder contract help. If you really want to go that route, it's pretty cheap. But just invest in a lawyer, like a, a lawyer that can help you set up a, a contract because they're going to be able to walk you through all this stuff. I mean, I can talk about it now, but all these things that you're going to, regret later you're gonna to have to go back in that contract and i can tell you how many times i've actually gone back in a contract that i did like three years ago i'm like oh shit where is it oh it's somewhere in my google drive somewhere there's a little contract that i wrote and like that contract is binding and that holds so and, and also people sometimes people don't know a lawyer doesn't have to draft a contract anything that's written and that's signed by both parties is legally binding and enforceable in court so if you write something on a piece of paper on a napkin, I'm like, dude, here's 40% and it has your signature on it. That's my share certificate. Mm -hmm. So you don't need a lawyer to write it. So anything, everything should be in writing. I have always have a thing. I always say in God, we trust everyone else must contract. I'm a big believer in that. Everyone can I contract and I have everything in writing with literally everyone. And as a lawyer, I think of everything that could go wrong in the beginning. <clears throat> yeah. So just to be clear though, Prady, you, you want to have things in writing. You want to have signatures to, to so that it's binding in court. But for the really important stuff, you have an attorney because the attorney has the, the working knowledge of of all the all the moving parts of the, the you know the contractual needs and, and all the things that you you might not project as just a, a person. So it's still very important to get that lawyer up front. Is what you're saying, correct? Hundred percent. In the beginning, dude, you're gonna be like, dude, I just want to work on my business. I don't have an account and a lawyer, but do it. It's going to save your ass because the lawyer is going to be able to think about things that can go wrong. I've probably seen like over 75 or 100 issues that I never thought when I, when I started my first business, I never thought that could be issues. But now I've seen it being an attorney too, like what can go wrong and mm -hmm. like, and you just won't know. It. I mean, people go to school for this, so that's their job. So they will help you. So yes, 100% get a lawyer, whatever it costs you a few hundred bucks, maybe for a per hour or something, whatever it costs you, just, just pay it. Uh, and do it. And it's going to really save your ass. And these are all conversations you, you should have. And, you know, I, I hope when people listen to this, like, oh, fuck, like I've started a business and I don't have any of these things. If you, if you don't have it yet, and if you're listening to this or watching this, um, maybe it's time to do it now. Like maybe your business isn't that big or you're just starting to make a profit. Do it now. Like, don't wait, like don't wait for those difficult conversations when they're so difficult um, that you can't have them. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I've exited business at large, like large numbers. At least for me, they were large, all over seven figures. And when money is involved, everything changes. Everything changes. Like mm. literally, everything changes. I had my first exit. It wasn't like this massive, but I remember I had people call me that were like friends that had kind of helped or I had talked to about the idea, asking for money. I'm not joking. Everyone says that they have a play in your business because when money is like winning the lottery, you get a massive tranche of income coming in and everyone in their neighbor, girls that you've dated that you don't remember, crazy people, they will come back and ask for your, their share. And it does happen. Um, so you make sure that everything is in writing and you're sometimes your best friends. I mean, shit gets nasty with money. So I actually think people say, I don't want to have a difficult conversation with my friend because they're a friend. 
but you're actually doing your friendship a favor by having the conversation in the beginning because when you have it at the end, you're going to ruin your friendship. So, yeah, man, I have like stories about like some weird ass shit that I wasn't expecting uh, the first time. <laughs> I my business. And that's why I try to keep a low profile about it right now. But yeah, man, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so. You should probably start a podcast that's just fail stories. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I, I think I, know. I have so many fail stories, more than that story. So, 100%. That's awesome. So, pretty, are we missing anything before we sew this up? Um, if not, let's summarize, but is there anything that we're missing when it comes to uh, taking on a co-founder, a partner? Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the notion of, you know, if you've already started the business, go back and look to see if there's any, any more fail safes or, or however you, that, that you, you framed it. But uh, uh, because if, if you're just now starting, maybe you can still go back. If you started your business, isn't there still time to go back and, and put in some of these uh, concerns, these issues, uh, and, and make sure that you have these fail-safes before you do take on a co-founder, a partner, and things of that nature, because um, yeah, you're building yeah, this uh, thing. A hundred percent, man. I totally agree. I think I think the big uh, big takeaway here, too, like one thing that we, I kind of touched on, but we hope, I, I don't know if we missed, but definitely want to say it again. Um, entrepreneurship is difficult. It's a lonely path. Like, you're going to be alone. You're not going to be lonely, but you're going to be alone. Like, there's not a lot of people doing it you're going to be by yourself. And I think when you're alone, we want companionship and we want someone to talk to. Now, just because you're alone and need someone to talk to and, and, and have someone like a shoulder to cry on because you might, that doesn't mean that you need to bring that person on as a co-founder. And just make sure that startups and business is all about value creation. And everyone, you need to provide value, your business needs to provide value, and your co-founders need to provide value. But you need to figure out, is that value bringing value to the marketplace or to me? If the value is if the value being provided is to you, which is an emotional support, then it's not a good co-founder. I definitely want to put it up there because I think a lot of people have co-founders because they need a, need a buddy or like an like accountability buddy that they can shoot the shit with. Mm. Get a counselor. Get a shrink. Like, seriously, get, get a... Uh, I don't know, find a girl that you like. I don't know, like don't bring them into business. That's different. So my litmus test is not necessarily that we're the best friends in the world or I can rely on him for like my mental and emotional support when I don't, it's not my like an emotional tampon. Like what my co-founder is, is providing more value to the business by providing more value to the marketplace. That's it, like not to me personally. And you need to learn to separate those. And I think that's a big thing that I see a lot of times because it's lonely, you want someone to, have a shoulder, but that's just the, the thing you signed up for. So that's another thing I wanted to throw out there. And, and I think the big takeaway here is all value. And right now, if you have a co-founder or somebody you're not really sure about, or you're thinking about giving someone equity or stake, think about what real value are they providing? And is this value legitimate or is this just an emotional value? And that's just one of the things I really wanted to mention because I've seen that many times. Well, wow. And also playing the long game, right? Always looking down the road on how things are going to work out versus right now. Yeah, that's that's so true. Don't get stuck in your current needs for like where you're going to be in the future. So I gave the example of the guy that was like painting Facebook's office. Sometimes in the beginning, you might want to you need a lawyer and you don't have the money to pay the lawyer. So a lot of law firms, what they're doing right now, they're taking equity. They're not there's no charge. And they're all happy because a lot of these companies they end up scaling and then the law firms became massively wealthy. But you gave the equity away because at that time when you started off, you had a certain need. In the beginning, your most important person that you need is going to be a website designer or is going to be a mailman or is going to be the guy who does your packaging. But that's in the beginning. In the future for big term strategy, those are not going to be the most important people. So don't give equity to them because I hear that all the time. Well, I need my post guy or I need my accountant. 
And I, I, you know how many accountants have equities in companies? It's nuts, dude. Like they're just, an, they're an accountant. And that's awesome. I'm a lawyer, but like, dude, I don't need equity in someone's company like that. Just pay me my, 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 like my salary, you know, but people say, no, no, I take equity. And they're happy because like, oh, Preddy's working for free, but they don't recognize that they won't need me after a while necessarily. Like I'm not going to help them grow their business. So just make sure that you're dealing not with needs, but with future wants. And that goes in relationships, but also definitely in, in this as well. Mm. Yeah, they're not going to need you down the road, but you're not going anywhere because you've got equity <laughs> in their in their company now. So <laughs> yeah. get yeah, used yeah. to so it. I, don't take a, I haven't taken equity just as a, for a legal thing, but I'm just giving an example because I know a lot of lawyers right. that I know are friends that have massive equities and massive companies. I'm like, how would you do that? Well, oh, I was just working for them. They couldn't afford my fees anymore. So I just told them, hey, if you want to give me equity. And they were so happy and they didn't know what they signed up for. So you have people <laughs> who are like really wealthy that I know and like, holy shit, what did you do? And it's not being a lawyer. So Yeah, right. That's, that's man, I cannot imagine how valuable that advice right there is for so many people who didn't know any better, who thought at the time I'm going to get this work for free basically. And all I got to do is give a little bit of stock out of my company. And then later they're like kicking themselves. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no such thing as a free lunch, man. That's what in business, like, you know, most of the time, unless there's like your friend or someone that really cares, but there's literally no such thing as a free lunch. Someone's emailing you about a free thing or a free course or a free seminar or free this there's always something at the other end. This is just business. So um, people that are saying I'm doing it for free, they're always, there's always something there. So, I mean, and that's fine. It's totally fair game. Everyone wants to make their income, but just be careful of that. It's business. Prady, tell us what's coming up. We've got the final episode, episode five coming up next. And uh, give us a little prelude as to what we can expect in this final episode. Yeah, man. So the final episode is just really going to be about the last part of it, which is finding your brand, branding and marketing, and then finishing off with like scaling your business. And I think those are those are really where I want to leave it behind because I think that branding and marketing is in sales are a really big part of your company and what you're doing. But all the pieces of the puzzle need to be done before. You know, all the foundational stuff needs to be there, and then we work towards okay. Well, how do I market my products? How do I what's my brand? And then moving on now, how do I how do I continue to scale? And we're, we'll t we'll touch a little bit upon the automation and, and scale part that I talked about the last episode, and we'll touch upon it again. And then that will give people every all the foundations that they need to to survive in business. And just to give a recap, we've talked about the mental attitude of business. Uh, we've talked about profit maximization and, and income. We've talked about systems, automations, and hiring your first employees. We've talked about your co-founder, and the last part we're going to talk about branding, marketing, sales. And then scaling for continued success. And I think that will give people a foundational knowledge of what they need to know to, to really grow their small business. And cool thing, I think as I'm talking, man, I'm doing this with you. I'm learning, too, because I'm revisiting some stuff in my own companies. And hopefully people listening, they can apply this to their projects, not only their business, but anything they're doing in their life. It can be at work. Uh, but also, if you already have a business, um, thinking about this, because sometimes you're so involved with like working in your business that you're not working at your business and then listening to other people talk about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that. You know, I know I'm thinking too, is like, oh, I need to think about my employees again. So it's it's a good thing, I think, for everyone to hear this stuff. Awesome. Absolutely. Amazing stuff, Prady. Thanks again, man. We'll look forward to to sewing this thing up next week. Good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, thanks both you guys. Uh, I uh, really appreciate your time. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm super grateful that uh, you guys are giving the platform uh, for me to do this. Man. Excellent. Thanks again. 
thanks again to Prady Tuari and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like gold to us, so be sure to tell your friends and fam about our most humble yet completely fantastic show. Also remember to subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download all those shows that you love. And you can also download the show at the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. If you need to contact us, you can do so at cerebral at thecepodcast.com and you know we love the way you love us on the socials when in fact you do love us on the socials so until we meet again please remember to keep your brains warm out there see ya